Nothing like hearing this, the uh, sound of twin turbos and seeing an incredible Lamborghini being rebuilt. It was absolutely gorgeous to see this thing that was destroyed by an accident that with a little bit of work, a little tear down and then rebuild, that it turned into something absolutely incredible. And it kind of leads us into our series art. We're going to be talking about this idea of, of tearing down and rebuilding. As we look about what God did on the cross and what God through Jesus, we're going to look about at this teardown that he does and then this rebuild that he completes to make something that's incredibly beautiful. And we're going to see how God in the life of Christ raised to raise. Now, um, you may be familiar with the word raise. I'm sure you are. Um, raise some money, raise some kids, R-A-I-S-E. But there is also this other word, which is raise, that's spelled R-A-Z-E. And it's interesting because this word raise means to destroy something to the ground. It means just to like waste it, just totally rip it down to the ground, totally to the ground. And it's interesting that the word raise, R-A-Z-E, is actually the opposite of the word R-A-I-S-E. And so it's not a word that we use often. Normally, if somebody's staring at you, pointing their finger in your face, I'm going to raise you. you, you know, maybe you're playing cards or you're thinking of something being built up. But the word R-A-Z-E actually means to tear down and destroy. Um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about this idea of raised to raise, I, I know you think that I'm in a room someplace and the, I got certain music on and they're pumping some smoke with some candles and all of a sudden this bush over here starts to glow with fire and all of a sudden I get my messages from God that way. Um, I, I do get them from God, but it doesn't work like that. Well, here's how this one particularly worked. The word raise, R-A-Z-E, really caught my interest when I was watching an episode of The Mandalorian. Um, if you're familiar with The Mandalorian, it is a Star Wars continuation series on the Disney Channel. 
And it's a really cool series. I was raised on Star Wars, and I was really interested in it. But this guy here, this villain, his name is Moff Gideon. And if you're familiar with The Mandalorian, which you should be if you are an American and you are alive, uh, you should know, I've seen some people my age begin to look at each other like, what's he talking about? What happened to Captain Kirk, you know? But if this guy, Moff Gideon, said that unless the Mandalorian surrendered Baby Yoda, ringing a bell, yes, lovely Baby Yoda, if he, sur- if he doesn't, that he's going to raise the building. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I was really interested to see if the closed captions caught the spelling of the word. Because it really sounds funny to hear somebody say, I'm going to raise that building. And what they actually mean is that they're going to utterly destroy it and they're going to rip it down. And that's what he says that they're going to do. So it's one of those rare occurrences in the English language where two words are homonyms and antonyms at the same time. Yeah. How's that, huh? Yeah. Let's close in prayer. That's it. I I got, that's the, I mean, I was wow when I discovered that. And I know some of you are now picking up your iPhone to Google other words that are antonyms and homonyms. But really, it's really an interesting thing that you have two words that sound exactly the same, but they mean just the opposite of each other. It doesn't mean that they don't mean the same thing. It means they mean exactly the opposite. And we're going to see how that little nuance actually plays itself into when we're talking about the cross of Christ and we're talking about the resurrection of Christ. Because when we look at it, when we look at the story, there is that sense of strangeness about the cross of Christ. There's that sense of um, uh, differentness about the resurrection. And if I was to uh, say what's the most important thing about the work of Christ. If I was to say, pick one thing, some of you, probably half of you, would probably say, I believe the cross of Christ. Without the cross, we don't have the resurrection. Without the cross, we don't have forgiveness. Well, then there will be another group, yeah, but if we have the cross and he doesn't rise, well, then we don't have any effect of the, the, you know, the forgiveness of sins. We don't have the success of the cross is not lived out. So it seems like both of these acts are homonyms. They, they both say redemption. They both are, you don't understand redemption in the Christian sense if you don't understand R-A-Z-E and R-A-I-S-E. That these two words that sound the same, the reason why they sound the same is because they're both saying something about the same word, redemption. But yet when you look at the acts of the cross, it, is, it, is, it seems to be a violent act. It seems to be a tearing act. It seems to be a destructive act. But then three days later, we have Jesus coming out of the tomb, and we have a R-A-I-S-E event. We have a rebuilding and raising up event. So it's really interesting that that sense about the cross that we see about the cross or the resurrection together, we know they're inseparable. They sound the same. They say redemption to us, but yet they also, they seem to be opposite, but yet they seem to be the same God doing both things. And so for a lot of us, we look at the mercy of God and we, we think about the justice of God and we, we tend to have a hard time reconciling these two ideas. It's like, well, God's merciful. He forgives everything. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like redemption, doesn't it? Um, But uh, uh, 
you know, it's not this concept of pulling up a carpet and then sweeping what we've done wrong underneath, that there's got to be a dealing with it. And, and so for a lot of us, we have a hard time reconciling, well, how can God be all good and, and merciful and loving, and how can God punish at the same time? It seems like this is such a, such a, a, a good act, and, and this in our mind appears to be something evil, at least that we perceive it as something evil. And so we find that in the cross and in the resurrection, there is the, the word mercy and the word justice are homonyms of redemption. They're, they're brought together, though they appear to be opposites. But we find in the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that they're melded together. So we are going to be looking at over the next couple weeks as we lead up to Easter that Jesus is doing this all the time, this this tension, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he seems to always be creating situations where there is this raise, R-A-Z-E, and R-A-I-S-E tension in the situation. Let me give you an example of when he introduces this tension into his ministry. In John chapter 2, we are told this that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers were sitting there. And making whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? It's like, you know, what right do you have to tear things down? And Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it back up. And the Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, the interesting thing is that this comes from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The only other recorded event that we have in the life of Christ is that he's changed water into wine at a wedding feast. And he even did that kind of in protest with his mother. I mean, his mom kind of got him to do that. And, but this seems to be the first introduction of Jesus. And that he's introducing this idea of raise, R-A-Z-E, to raise, R-A-I-S-E that this seems to be the first thing. Now, what we do at church is this. We invite you to come to church. Hopefully your friends bring you to church. And when you come on in, we're, we're, we're different. We're a different kind of church. You're going to get a nice little visitor basket from us. And inside you'll get a Cersei, maybe a loaf of bread. And you'll get some really cool little glasses that you can put on. And don't worry, we're not going to take an offering. And don't worry, we won't talk about sin or we won't create any tension. We're just going to talk about the mercy of God and the love of God. And and that's going to be in order to get you to come back. 
I mean, really, as a pastor, I'm just telling you on, on my profession, we didn't choose to preach that way because that's what we believe. It's, it's the only way we can get you to come back. And it's interesting that Jesus shows up, he starts his ministry, and they're like, okay, boss, how you want to start this off, boss? And the first thing Jesus says, hey, let's go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to turn some stuff over. I'm going to flip some, I'm going I'm to rip down some stuff. It's like, well, you know, that's just not the way to get people to come back. And he's like, no, this is kingdom work that we're doing. And so for a lot of us, this creates tension in us to see Jesus doing stuff like this. But it seems that both parts of the story are the same. He starts off by, by turning over the tables. He raises the tables, R-A-Z-E, and I will continue to spell it throughout this week. Next week, I won't spell it out every single time. But he R-A-Z-E's the table. Why? It's because he's going to tear down this so that my father's house can be a house of prayer, as he says in another gospel. So he has to tear this down to bring this up. He's not looking to just destroy to destroy sake. You know, this isn't a 15-year-old boy with an M80. You know, that's just want to blow up stuff, you know? Just, you know, I just, you remember when you were younger and you just kind of like put stuff in tailpipes, put it down the toilet, and, you know, just blew stuff up to blow stuff up? This isn't Jesus blowing up to blow up. This is Jesus saying, listen, I want this to happen over here, so I got to tear down that over here so that I can raise this up over here. And this seems to be a theme throughout Jesus' teaching ministry and the very life of Jesus and, and, and what he does. And then he talks about, well, what sign are you going to do that you can actually do this? Because raising up a temple in three days, I mean, it's like, how are you going to prove that you have the right to tear things down? And Jesus says in three days, referring to his body, I'm going to raise it back up so that everyone that dares to let me raise, R-A-Z-E, the things out of their life that should not be there. Know that I have the ability to raise, R-A-I-S-E, all the good things of the kingdom of God into their lives. You know, I don't want to follow somebody that just blows crap, uh, stuff up. Um, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't want to. I mean, if Jesus goes to the cross and says, hey guys, follow me, gets up on the cross and dies, and then we're five days, seven days, three weeks, five months later, and he hasn't come back. I'm not following him. I will only view the, the cross as a destructive work that leads nowhere. But the reason why Jesus raises from the dead is because, listen, I'm going to point you to this idea of having things torn down, but I'm going to show you, trust me, trust me. As I start flipping over tables, as I start doing things in your life, you know, um, I have the ability to raise up good stuff. And that I'm not just ripping good times out of your life. I'm not just trying to make your life boring. I'm not just trying to mess with your stuff. It's like, no, no, I'm trying to get some stuff out of your life so that I can raise up some other stuff. That'll be incredible. And I think a lot of us get nervous with this picture of Jesus. We don't like tension. I mean, we really don't. I could probably bring up all the psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors in the auditorium, and, and, and they could probably tell you story after story of, of how we just can't manage tension. We just can't manage conflict. That, that, you know, we just can't handle somebody 
telling us what we're doing is wrong in America. I mean, we, we will... Um, we just need you to tell us that we're good, that we're good, that God loves you just the way you are, and, and that be the best version of yourself. You know, that's all God wants you to be is the best version of yourself. It just doesn't sell to say to you, hey, you know what? God loves you so much, and that he who began a good work in you is going to tear you down. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. See, when we hear the phrase good work, we always assume, uh, associate the word um, a pleasurable work. That when God does something good in my life, that means I got a new car right over here. And then I got a new job and I got a new paycheck and a new girlfriend. Uh, he, God's doing something good. But you know what? We have Jesus establishing in John chapter 2 and throughout his ministry, when God does something good, something's getting torn down. You know, Something's getting torn down. But you need to know, and, and I know that causes you tension because y you don't want to correct your children. Little Johnny, if I, if I oh, please excuse me, but if I spank him on the tushy, um, he's going to grow up warped. So I'm going to let him run around with the knife. You know, um, if, if I correct my daughter, if I, if I make my 15-year-old teenager angry with me and they don't talk to me, I can't handle that tension. I don't like those kinds of situations. You know, in my house, you know, raising three daughters, when I took them off and they were about 15 years of age and they decided they weren't going to talk to me for three days, I, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's like I am finally not going to have to hear about uh, High School Musical again, you know, or Zac Afron or anything. It's like, you know, well, I'm not going to talk to you, Dad. Uh, I'm like, really, you're not going to talk to me? Like, well, how long are you not going to talk to me? For three days. All right. That works for me. I hope it works for you. But for a lot of us, we can't handle tension. We can't handle tension telling somebody they're wrong. You know? Everything can't be right. I mean, I mean it all can't be right. So we don't want to have political conversations in America. We don't want to, you know, I, 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 <laughs> please, I, I hate being this pastor. I mean, I really hate this, but we'll call a boy or girl, even though we know he's not. Yes, he's confused and he deserves love. And we'll call a girl, I mean, a boy or girl, whatever, we'll get, and we'll just kind of jump in there with them. And I'm not talking about judgment. I'm not talking about harshness. I'm not talking about not being loving. I'm just talking about, hey, somebody's got to say, you know, that's not biologically, psychologically, theologically, universally logical or true. Yeah, but I want to hurt anybody's feelings. And here we are in a mosh pit of so-called mercy, and nobody wants to say the truth. Now, I am not advocating misogyny, chauvinism, uh, rudeness, judgmental, or, you know, condemnation, none of that stuff. But there's, there is a blend of mercy and truth that God wants us to experience in our lives. Sometimes I'm a J-hole. Okay, I was just trying to make sure that wasn't a cuss word. But it sounds like it should be one, doesn't it? I made it up. I made that one up so that you can't accuse me of cussing in church. But there are some times when I'm a jerk, and the most loving thing you can do to me is turn over my table. You know? If somebody comes, Mr. Ben comes up to me, Pastor Ben comes up, and, hey, Paul, you know, I, I know your heart, man. But they walked away, and they kind of felt like you really just, you know, and, and I'll be like, 
okay. And I'll get ruffled. I'll get like, well, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And I'll do that for little, about three or four seconds, and then I'll be like, all right, all right, you're right, I'm wrong. And, but that's, that's love, and, and this is what Jesus does in this story. This is where he's, but we can't handle that kind of tension in America. So we don't get the buildup because we don't get the teardown. You know, we just live with a wreck, with a, with a Lamborghini with a hole in its engine. And it's an expensive loss. But if you're willing to go through the teardown to experience the buildup, you'll begin to experience something beautiful in your life. You know, Sometimes things need to be, uh, some things have to be rooted up in order for other things to be rooted down. You just do a little bit of gardening work. There are, sometimes you just got to get in there, get your hands in the dirt, and you got to pull up some of these plants over here so that you can root something else down. Sometimes you have to unlearn something, and that idea has to be torn down so that another idea can be reconstructed. So you have to unlearn something to learn something rightly. And, and that's kind of like what Jesus is doing in this temple. They've, they've gotten into this religion thing about, you know, uh, and the focus is on this tithing thing. And that's, they're all focused. Have you ever been in a church that focuses just on the tithing thing? Three offerings a week, and, and it becomes a stipulation for membership and all this other thing. It's like, huh, let's see, you, you're taking like five offerings a week, but you're only doing communion once a month. What's the valuation to taking money and celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ? It doesn't seem to be equal here. You know, it doesn't seem to be the emphasis here. But that's what they were caught into. They were kind of like, man, tear down, tear. You know, this is what church is all about. And Jesus is like, you missed it, guys, so i got to tear up what you're doing. So some of us were raised in denominations or religious experiences or in households where the religious experience, it was just, it was wrong. And, and God wants to tear it down. And he wants to pre, uh, represent to you, and people don't realize that that cross right there does not represent the passion of the Christ. It represents the passion of the Father. But for a lot of us, you're just, right now you're hearing this and you're like, what, the Father? It's like this whole redemption idea was, was our Heavenly Father, that God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus even said, the words that I say and the things that I'm doing are not my own. He's like, I, no, it's not me, it's, it's the Father in me reconciling the world. And for a lot of you, the word father needs to be deconstructed and then reconstructed because you were victimized, because you were left behind, because you never had a father in your life. And so part of the tear down is, is not to tear down, uh, tear down men, not tear down fatherhood, not to tear down gender because we had a bad experience with the gender person or a white person or a black person to tear it all down. It was like, no, no, no. Let's, we need to tear down some of it so that we can rebuild back up to the wisdom and the spirit of God what God intended for our lives. And so for some of us, that may be part of the tear down. Sometimes we need to see that things are that we're guilty um, in order to become forgiven. But that's not popular today. You know, we, we change the word sin into words like dysfunction. You know, I mean, dysfunction is such a cool word because I can kind of like, yeah, you know, we're a little dysfunctional, you know. 
Uh, it's like, well, you know, could we possibly say that it's sinful? No, 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 we don't. That's, it's not a popular word in American culture today. The weird thing is it's not even a popular word in, in the church today. Because we don't want to feel guilty. We just want to be encouraged into goodness. But we don't realize that sometimes feeling guilty is the best way to be encouraged into goodness. It's to find out that, oh, I am wrong. And then we experience the incredible forgiveness of God in our lives. I think the Taoist and the Buddhist misinterpret this thing because they would look at Jesus and they would say that, that Jesus has within himself, and I know I'm getting probably deeper than you want, but I just want to let you know that, that you know, this has been well thought out, is that Jesus is in a yin-yang kind of moment, that there's two forces happening inside of him, that, that there's darkness at work in him that turns over the tables, and then there's goodness in him when he forgives everybody, and that he's, he's in this duality moment, that there's kind of two Jesuses in there, and, and one's darkness and the other one's light, and um, one's evil and one's good, and, and maybe that's one way to have interpreted it. And others would see the raising of Jesus, the R.A. Z-I-I-N-G is Jesus losing it. That finally, Jesus succumbs to his base nature of anger. You see, he's just like us. He's not God. God would not lose his temper. God would not be angry. God would not take a cord and put little nuts in it to hit human beings with. So, what we have here, since I cannot accept the tension that God could actually be angry or that God would actually correct that which is wrong, then I must assume that Jesus is just losing it. And see, he's just like me. So we lose a little bit, we, we do good, and we just do the best that we can. Others would interpret this story and, and put it into the theologian category that, well, God wouldn't lay punishment on his innocent son. This can't be God punishing Jesus for the sins of the world and laying the sins of the world in this kind of, it's called penal substitution. It's a big idea that drinks a lot of coffee. But it's this idea that God would punish an innocent man for the sins of the world. Therefore, since I cannot live with that tension, I've got to reconstruct what's going on here. Jesus is just giving us an example of what it's like to be good and misunderstood and to lay down your life for your friends. We don't like tension in this. But it, you know what's interesting is that we do live with it. And we do expect this mercy and justice idea, this, these homonyms and antonyms in the world. If back in like 1941, 19 through 1945, then the axis of evil was taking over the world. Nazi Germany was ravaging Western Europe, destroying it. And it was about to be snuffed out by Adolf Hitler. And the United States gets drawn into the war. And there isn't a person here today that you don't think for a second after the First World War and the millions we lost there, then the Second World War and the millions upon millions were there, that you probably feel and rightly feel that it was an act of God that the Allied forces marched into Berlin and destroyed Germany from taking over the world. I would think that you would say that the raising, the R-A-Z 
E or R-A-Z-I-N-G of Germany was an act of God. It needed to be done. And I think you'd be correct in your estimation. But one of the things you may not have known that in 1947, the United States deployed what is called the Marshall Plan. And the Marshall Plan was this idea that the United States felt that Europe was in ruin so that the, the U.S. was going to use its economic strength and its money to begin to help countries rebuild. Because just a destroyed Nazi party was not the objective. Guess what one of those nations was that got money from the United States to rebuild? The, Germany. We helped, we helped rebuild Germany. Now, I think you would say, yeah, that seems like the right thing to do. I mean, these people, you know, it wasn't really them. It was Adolf Hitler and, you know, the Nazi party. And, and it's like, well, yeah, we don't want these people to be miserable for the rest of eternity. It's like, no, we're going to help rebuild that. See, so in that sense, you really see that, yeah, that makes sense to destroy something for the purpose of raising it up, but raising it up something different. You know, somebody pointed out to me today that my face is a perfect example of this sermon. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, it was good. Um, is that the idea that because of the, the basal cancer stuff on my face, that this cream had to be put on it, and it killed all the skin on my face, or did something to all the skin on my face, and uh, turned it all red, and it's been like two weeks now, and it's like been a really interesting journey. My face really hurt really bad. And last night, uh, all of a sudden, the, my, skin, my face is beginning to peel away. And so I thought I had bugs on my face because I was like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, and I'm laying there, and I got up, and I looked, and my face was peeling and it was just like, it was just coming up. I was late getting here today because I'm like, my face is falling off. And so it was just like peeling. Like, and, but you know what? Everybody keeps telling me, you know, people who've done it and the doctors are like, dude, you're going to look, you're going to look like a year and a half younger when, after you get this. Uh, maybe two years younger. I mean, your face is going to be smooth and it's going to be tight and all this. Other. I'm like, really? Yeah. It's like. It had to be R-A-Z-E-D to save me from all the surgeries that would have had to take place on my face. I think you would think that that makes sense in life. Then why isn't it we think that it makes sense when it comes to the kingdom of God? That God would actually come into our lives. When we raise our hands and we say, God, I just want you to do something new in my life. Okay, you know, what do you do when you think about, Father, I just pray that you would work in my life, that you would do a good work, that you would be glorified in me, and you were like, yes, God, do something good. <laughs> do you know what you have just told the God of heaven? Feel free to raise me. R-A-Z-E. Tear down anything inside of my marriage. Tear down anything in my attitude. Tear anything down in my perspective. Tear down anything that's ruling over my life. Tear it down, God, so that you could raise up something good in my life. Something that's peaceful, that's good, that's gentle, that's loving. You know, something that's truthful in my life. This is what Jesus came to do. I, I call this an insensitive truth. Because I don't think any of us like this. 
I didn't like two weeks of this. I mean, I didn't like it. I mean, it burned. And then it's like you got to keep putting it on and burning it more. And you just keep on putting on and burning it more. But I was confident that the doctor knew what was going on and that the outcome would be better. See, we need to, when we look at the cross, we need to realize that God's attacking something that's killing us. We got to remember that God raised up Jesus from the dead to prove that he can take us through it. And let's give the Pharisees and the priests a little bit of a break. I know we kind of beat up on those guys a lot. You know, we've even turned it into, uh, you know, a, we call somebody a Pharisee, you know, but let's give them a break. Because all of a sudden you hear somebody say to you, I'm going to tear down this temple and in three days I'm going to raise it up. Now we sit back and we're like, well, we know what that was all about, but let's put it in real time. The disciples remember it after Jesus raises up. But these guys are like, what are you talking about? But I thought it was really interesting when I was reading the story that they don't question, <laughs> you're going to tear down this all by your onesies? I mean, all by yourself, you're going to tear down this temple? They didn't, they didn't say anything about tearing down. You know why they didn't say anything about tearing down? Is because you and I know what tearing down is all about, and it happens to us every single day. We get old, we have entropy, we get torn down in our relationships, we, get torn, we see it happen in our society, we see things break all the time. Breaking stuff is not hard, okay? I mean, it's easy, everything breaks. That's normative. But what they sparked on was, wait a minute, you're telling me you're gonna raise this thing up in three days? That's the part that fascinated them. And some of us here think we have lives that can't be raised up. That's too broken. It's too messed up. Some of us just feel like there's just no hope for me. No one could raise this marriage. I believe we're gonna get a divorce. I believe that this isn't gonna happen. I don't think this job's gonna work out. I think I'll always be struggling with pornography. I think I'll always have this addiction in my life. I don't think I'll ever get over this victimization in my life. And, and Jesus says, oh, no, 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 we're gonna tear that down. And, and we're like, we are? He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna tear that down and we're gonna make something totally new in your life. Well, how do I know you're gonna do this? Because on the third day I rose from the dead to prove that the one who raised R-A-Z-E-D was also R-A-I-S-E-D and has the power of resurrection within him. And this is what we're leaning into this, this coming um, holiday season, this time. I love what Jesus says, and, and it's, it's clearly in the, the biological story. Jesus said to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Um, and you think, well, wow, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you hear him announce to his disciples and to the crowd, hey guys, this is about time. This is when I'm about to be glorified. What are you expecting to happen? I'm expecting something Moses-like to occur. It's like, all right guys, get ready. I'm about to be glorified. Oh man, that means there's some really crazy stuff about to break loose. There's gonna be a pillar of fire over here. You know, this, this bath water over here is gonna split in two and, and there's gonna be all kinds of miracles that are gonna happen loose. And Jesus says, I'm about to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a, a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, dies, uh, it abides alone. Why? 
wait a minute, you're telling me that it's just about to break loose, and the first thing of breaking loose is you dying? You call that breaking loose? Jesus says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it's willing to go through the teardown, it bears much fruit. And then he says, and he's kind of like, this isn't just for me. He's like saying this for all of us. Whoever loses his life, who's willing to allow the spirit of God, the kingdom of God to flip over the tables to drive out that which is wrong of our lives, that's willing to tear down some stuff, whoever's willing to lose that in their lives, he says that person uh, loses his life, um, will keep it for eternal life. So we've got to ask ourselves this question, and this is the hard part, and I'll close with this Old Testament prophet who kind of reveals this idea. Um, we've got to ask ourselves, do we want our lives to remain this, the way that they are and just kind of say, God, don't touch it. Just leave it. Like, like God, don't screw this up for me. I don't want you tearing anything down because God's kind of like a bull in a china shop, you know? I mean, I, I don't need you tearing anything down. I, I want it to remain the same. Or do we want God so much? God, I want you in my life. Are we willing to say, God, here it is. Tear down what you got to tear down because I know what you're going to do in me, you know, is going to be amazing. I, there's this obscure prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Hosea. And I, I found him that he said something kind of prophetically about Jesus, but he also says it about us. And I kind of separated the verbiage of it so that you could see the R-A-Z-E and the R-A-I-S-E, the, that, that kind of play, that harmony and opposites working in the will of God. He said it this way. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that we may heal. Now, I'm up here, not because I've got this figured out or I'm better than you. I'm up here because I am you, okay? I'm just kind of like, like the voice box between God and, and you. I, mean, I talk to God for you. I talk to you for God, and, and I'm kind of like in this with you. And I look at a phrase like this, for he has torn us, and I am offended by the notion of that good things could come from the raising, the R-A-Z-I-N-G, of something in my life. And that's where a lot of us bail out on God. Well, if God's doing a good work, then why doesn't it smell better? Why doesn't it taste better? Why doesn't it feel better? Because sometimes the best of works are like leveling Germany to the ground before it can be rebuilt. I think it's really interesting in that Lamborghini video. That Lamborghini was wrecked. It was an Italian car that has been taken over by a German company that had an engine from Texas in it. It's really interesting about the 
harmonizing and conflicting elements that go into the idea of redemption. But listen to what he says. For God has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. You know, I love this. I mean, we know that he's talking about Jesus prophetically, that on the third day he would rise. But why is he using the pronoun us? It's because in Christ, God is healing us. In Christ, God is striking us. In Christ, God is reconciling the justice of our wrongs. In Christ, God is raising us. In Christ, he is empowering us so that we can do what? So that we can live in his kingdom forever. So that we can have the goodness of his will done in our lives. So that we can have the purpose of our lives restored. We were never created to be tables and money changers. We were created to be the habitat for the presence of God and the goodness of God, the love of God. Man, wouldn't that change the world? Wouldn't that change the world? And I know every one of you want that. But there's a teardown to the rebuild. One thing can stop all of this. That's if you just want things to remain the same. That's basically saying no to God. God, I, yeah, I heard this guy. I ain't coming back to Crosstown next week now that I know he's going to be talking about this stuff. I want everything to be done. You know, I want everything to remain the same. Well, here, let me just break the myth for you. It don't remain the same. You know, I, I think the hardest place to be in life is 35 years of age. You know why? I think I've discovered it. And I think some of my friends like Timmy and Faith know this. They, at 35, man, you're, undis- you're indestructible. I mean, you're going to own this world. I'm going to rule. Your face is tight. Your body's hot. Your power and strength, your career is wide open. And then welcome to the 60s. You're getting your face peeled off. (laughs) So, if you think your life is going to remain unchanged by getting away from God, entropy, gravity, and friction will get you. Another thing that can stop this is is that you don't like tension. I I don't like tension between me and my kids. I don't like tension between me and my spouse. I don't want to do this hard thing. I don't want tension between me and God. I don't want tension within myself. I just want to be told to be the best version of myself. Yeah, okay, go ahead. You will remain yourself. Congratulations. Another thing that can stop this is if we don't think we have any tables that need to be turned over. You know? I thought six months ago, I mean, I knew I was getting older. I knew I was getting slower. And I'm just going to tell you this. I mean, you, you already knew it. I'm the one that just found out. I thought I was pretty hot. Tim, you, you, why aren't you looking at me anymore? <laughs> no, seriously. I thought my life was, I'm spot on. God, I live by the water, drive a nice car, got a really attractive wife. She said, don't call her hot in public anymore. She said, I got a really attractive wife. 
got great family, great kids. And then you know what? All it took was six months, six months of hardship in my life to tear it all down. And I all of a sudden saw the vanity. I saw the pride. I saw, I saw the white guy. I saw the baby boomer who's taken everything off this planet. I saw it all. And I'll tell you, six months later, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Yeah, I mean, really is. It was a gift from God, faithful of the wounds of a friend, the writer of Proverbs said. And maybe you're here and you don't think your tables need to be overturned. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask a coworker. And then last, another thing that can stop this from happening is thinking that, oh, you can't rebuild this temple in three days. You may have spent 46 years wrecking your life or somebody else wrecking your life. Don't be surprised what God can do in three days. Don't think that just because it's been bad for so long that it's gotta stay bad. But you gotta let God tear some things down. And that may be in your head. It may be an attitude. It may be an unforgiveness. It, it, it may be just a perspective that you have about life. You're gonna have to let him tear some stuff down. But if you can, let him tear it down. He who began a good work in you. And you can stand in the middle of the rubble, in the middle of a flooding building, in the middle of all the stuff that goes on, and you say, this is just about right. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The greatest thing that can happen today, and I'll, we'll talk about it in a week, but as soon as Jesus dies on the cross, what's the first thing that we're told that happens? First thing. Anybody want to shout it out? Feel free. What happened? The veil is torn. The veil is torn. Why? Because unless that veil is torn, the access to God is denied all mankind. So the tearing, the raising of Christ's body tears open that which separates us from God. And now you and I can go in and go out and have fellowship with God. There are some other things that need to be overturned in our lives, but God wants to do something good. Father, as we enter into this, this moment with you, and this moment doesn't have to last 46 years. It doesn't even have to last three days. But if in this moment that I believe that Jesus Christ died and that Jesus Christ rose, though they're opposites, they both sound the same and that they say that I can become a child of God, that I can be redeemed, that in the homonym and antonym of the cross and resurrection, the sound of redemption pours forth. And today, God, we open our lives. We do want more of you we welcome you into our lives. Turn over what needs to be turned over. Tear down what needs to be tore down. But I do this. In the words of Hosea, 
so that he may build us up, that he may heal us, that we may live before him forever. Let me encourage you into this moment of tension, of goodness and mercy and truth with God.